of your your key tools in your lab course is this driving simulator. Yes. So have you been in the driving simulator yourself? Yes, I have. And are you an expert driver? Have you done sort of <laughs> the Indy 500 or oh, no. any Formula One's, you know, simulated races in there or anything like I'm that? I'm not an expert driver in the driving simulator. <laughs> I'm a very safe driver on road in my Honda CRV. That I can <laughs> promise you. Welcome to Health and Human Science Matters, a podcast by Colorado State University's College of Health and Human Sciences. I'm your co-host and digital media strategist, Avery Martin. And I'm Matt Hickey, Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies. In our college, we make it our mission to optimize human health and well-being through discovery and innovation. Don't just take our word for it. Each episode, we sit down with people who fulfill that mission, our college faculty and staff. And today we're fortunate enough to have a friend and colleague from my home department, Dr. Neha Lodha. Neha, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me here. You know, it's such a great opportunity to speak with you today in this setting. We're looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better as we were hinting at just a few minutes ago. Okay, I'm looking forward to it too. Very good. Can you tell us a little bit about your life outside the academy? And this again could range as far back as early childhood memories, influences on your educational trajectory. You may even have some special memories that you'd like to share to help us to get to know you better. Yeah, so um, I'm originally from India Uh and I spent uh, 24 some years Uh, getting my education in engineering in India. And um, I have had a strong influence of my mom and dad, both of who are in science field. Uh, My mom is a plant uh, pathologist. So she had a PhD early on and my dad is a veterinary doctor. Um, Mom was very invested in our education, especially the science education. And uh, so, you know, I went on and did an engineering degree. But when I um, was in my sophomore year, I realized that I didn't want to become an engineer. And when I say that, what I mean is that I was in a program Uh, with a major as information and communication technology. Mm. And the goal of the program was to teach us how to program uh, cell phones and cellular networks. So this was 2001, really early on when cell phones were just coming out. I realized I didn't want to sit in front of a computer in the office of a multinational company and program. Uh, I wanted to be with people and serve people, especially those who have disability. So um, I felt like a misfit in my program. And um, I was a very shy person too. So I didn't have the courage to venture into a professor's office and tell them that, you know, I'm feeling like this is not for me. But there was a professor, his name was Dr. Arvind Kuchakar. And he was very well known for striking conversations with the least known students. And one day he... uh, Sounds like somebody I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, I know who you're hinting to. Uh, So one day he found me at a food court and he asked me, so are you enjoying being an engineering student? And to that, you know, I meekly said, well, not really. So in my times, you know, the classrooms were 240 in a single classroom and huge lecture halls. 
I just didn't enjoy being in that setting, learning, you know, math and calculus and uh, electronics. So he told me, okay, so if you're not enjoying going to the regular lectures, what about the special lectures on Fridays? So in my time, the special lectures were these kind of TED Talks organized every Friday evening. And... Um, in those uh, seminars or talks, uh, Arvind used to bring people from diverse background who had just fantastic stories to tell. So I remember one of those was an artist who was using technology to build art. I heard um, social activist and how he was using theater to spread awareness about menstrual hygiene in rural villages of India. And then I heard this man who was an engineer um, and he talked about how he was um, studying brain to understand walking behavior. So he went through his slides and at the end, very casually, he mentioned, you know, all these pictures of brightly illuminated brains that I've shown you is actually fly brain. So I, as an engineering student, was in complete awe that so much is possible to study just with a fly brain. And I thought, this is what I want to do. He was talking about neuroscience and, you know, Drosophila melanogaster, which I now know as a Drosophila. I thought it was a fruit fly. Um, so this man who gave the talk was um, Dr. Vijay Raghavan. And he was an engineer turned biologist. And a bulb just went on. I thought, that's what I want to do. I'm an engineer, but I want to study human brain. So from there started my journey of, you know, uh, seeking uh, to understand biological systems, but from the lens of a technologist. Mm -hmm. And I went to his lab as an intern and then as a junior research fellow for a year before I came to U.S. to study how uh, you know, flies walk and to understand their nervous system. Isn't that fun? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I have a follow-up. I'm curious about the genesis of your interest in disability. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? Um, as an undergrad student, I used to volunteer for people who have disabilities of different kinds, mental disabilities, people who were unable to, actually kids who were unable to speak, or listen and through those experiences I learned that these individuals with less senses in one domain have so much amplification of senses in other domain. I remember one day uh, teaching a class of children who were mute um, and deaf mm -hmm. and um, I would turn to the board and write something on the board and then try to explain them. The moment I turned to the board these hands started flying in the air and they were talking to each other. Unlike a natural classroom where you would hear a murmur, I didn't hear a murmur. And that was a moment where I realized that, you know what, this is amazing that they have this sense that is so extraordinarily developed, which is not developed in me. And I always felt very humble being in their presence and curious. So I felt that I want to work with people who push me to learn more about life. Yes. And that's why I just got interested in working with people who have disability. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, what a story, huh? Yeah. We want to get back to your educational trajectory, but I want to loop back and talk a little bit more about family if I can. So how often are you able to get back to see family in India? <laughs> 
Well, I haven't seen them in last three years because of COVID, mm. but I'm very, very close to, uh, you know, my family. Uh, my dad and mom both have had a strong influence on my upbringing, but my siblings too, um, they are spread apart. My sister is in living in um, Russia right now. Oh, wow. Yes, and uh, my brother is in uh, Mumbai. So uh, we get to see each other at least once a year if we are able to, but because of exceptional circumstances, we haven't. And, and uh, tell us about your husband and your beautiful family, if I can ask. Yes. Um, so um, my husband, his name is Gaurav, and uh, he's a data scientist by training, but he's very much the support system because of which I'm flourishing, I think, <laughs> in academia. Um, and then uh, my kids, I have two. One is a four-year-old boy, who loves working with machines and sleeps with a screwdriver under his pillow. Wow. <laughs> uh, and in the morning, there is a period of quiet when he's using his screwdriver to open an equipment that we still use. But if he's awake and if he's quiet, it means that he's unscrewing something. Isn't that something? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and my daughter, she is uh, just uh, phenomenal because uh, she's very mature for her age. Um, dad was away um, initial part of my you know, academic journey for about two years. So she really took on this role of a big sister mm. and looking after um her younger brother, um, but she's a dancer and a reader. So if she's quiet, she's reading a book. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, brilliant kids. Okay. Already. Like. <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does yes. it? <laughs> Thank you. And how about personal interests? When you're not thinking about movement disorders or, or VR-based you know, tools, which we'll talk about in a few minutes as well, yeah. what, what do you do for fun? Well, a few things. <laughs> um, I enjoy my life outside of academia as much as I enjoy it inside academia. Um, I am a dancer, classical dancer. So very often just music, you know, any kind of music just turns me on. So you'll see me dancing in the kitchen or, you know, uh, we are play, doing a little play and then it has a little dance embedded in it. So both me and my daughter love dancing. Um, I also love cooking and feeding people, all kinds of cuisines. So that's my other, you know, thing that brings me a lot of joy. Nice. And is your husband light on his feet or is he just a happy observer of your, <laughs> of your skills? Well, he has become light on his feet uh, over years. Uh, he's realized that, you know, it's these little joys in life that we really, um, together as a family, enjoy. Um, dancing is one of them, and being outdoors is the other one. So a really simple life, um, but something that keeps us, you know, happy and light. That's Indeed. great. That's fantastic. Work-life balance, as we say. Yes. Right? Yes. It's how you keep that smile. Well yeah. said. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring us back to your educational journey. I think we left off with you arriving in the States. And yes. so tell us more about what that was all about in terms of this trajectory that, uh, fortunately for us, brought you to... CSU eventually. So I landed in um, Gainesville, Florida at the age of 24. That was the first flight I took, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, yes, oh, wow. at the age of 24. Um, and I started my uh, doctoral degree in applied physiology and kinesiology. Um, again, at, actually at this department, I was the only engineer. So I kind of felt like 
I'm different yet again. But this time I actually knew why I was here, why I was doing what I was doing. I had the tool set of engineering and I wanted to study people who have movement disorders. I um, worked at a lab that was specializing in stroke rehabilitation. So in that lab, uh, you know, I developed computer programs to run experiments on patients. And I felt very grateful that I had a very useful tool set as an engineering student to study you know, anything. My specific interest was uh, movement disorders in people who have had stroke. Um, early on there too, uh, my mentor was um, actually known, he's, he was an old school mentor, and he was known for setting really hard and high goals for students. Um, one of those incidents was uh, right after Thanksgiving, he walked into my office only one year into the program, walked into my office and said, Neha, there is this deadline for the American Heart pre-doctoral grant uh, in two months, and I want you to write one and submit. And in all my you know, naivety, I said, and I will. I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> um, I just, you know, I was motivated. I just knew I had to do what I was told to do, and I had to do my best. So uh, I think that was also one of the most um, profound milestones in my doctoral work because I learned how to write clearly and uh, to convince somebody to give you the money to do the work that you love to do. And so um, I finished my doctoral degree with an American Heart uh, pre-doctoral fellowship um, and then, you know, went on to do postdoc. I want to follow up a little bit. I, I've heard you share that story before, and I've always enjoyed it. It's uh, <laughs> uh, the old school bit. I get, a, you know, sort of get a kick out of. You know, as you reflect now that you're you're here at CSU and you've had some time to think about um, this, you know, all of us have these wonderful educational journeys. Some of them are a little more linear than others, right? Others uh, are, are non-traditional or, or atypical in some ways. But if you take a moment to reflect on, on people, places, or times, not unlike what you just shared, this, this, this you know, write a grant uh, moment, whose fingerprints are still on Neha as a, as a scholar, people that have had an enduring influence on you? Um, two people that come to my mind, um, specifically in the area of, you know, scholarship. One of them is uh, Dr. Evangelos Christou, mm -hmm. and he is a neurophysiologist. He was my mentor for my first career development grant, um, and uh, he is a Greek guy that I first met actually at a summer school, and uh, he used to tease me for being vegetarian. He would say that I was, uh, you know, on a mission to <laughs> save all the cow, and I would always starve at all the seminars because there was not much food for me to eat in those times. <laughs> but, you know, that uh, interaction that started as a nice little, you know, teasing interaction actually evolved in a very strong mentorship relationship with him because up until that point, I had learned the art of doing science. By that, what I mean is I learned how do you identify what are the important questions in the literature to answer and develop the skills to answer them, write proposals to get the funding to do the work and then publish the work. But it was in Evangelos' lab that I learned how to be a scientist. And by that, what I mean is that as a scientist, 
you need to learn how to balance your life mm-hmm. in academia. So being a researcher and a teacher, how do you balance that while still having fun in life? That was the key thing that I learned from him because he was an individual who would uh, not only push us to do the best in our research and really develop critical thinking for science and for literature that we were reading, but he was also a person who was very compassionate and cared for the people around him. He used to say, I never gave up on anybody. And I really took that from him that, you know, um, that as we care for our science, we care for the people who do the science. So I would, you know, give him a lot of credit for teaching me how to do science while balancing, you know, both teaching and research, but also never losing the human part of our being. Well said, well said. You hinted at two, so I want to make sure I don't don't interrupt you here. Yes, the second one is... Dr. Manfred Deal, mm-hmm. from here, uh, you know, he's uh, at HDFS, Human Development and Family Studies Department at CSU. He has been a tremendous influence on me. We shared common interests, which I didn't actually know until I met with him. So just a little bit of a, you know, step into my academic brain. I'm highly interested in understanding how motor fluctuations affect our functional performance. And motor fluctuations means that, you know, the unintended fluctuations in our movement. For example, if you're trying to sew a needle, you will never be steady. You will, you know, there would be some fluctuations as you're trying to uh, sew, string the needle with the thread. So I was interested in motor fluctuations and I had 10 years of background looking at motor fluctuations, the neurological underpinnings of that and how that affects everyday function. But uh, Dr. Dio, he had interest in cognitive fluctuations. So with him, I am currently actually uh, learning how to uh, understand the uh, the intersection of cognitive fluctuations and motor fluctuations and how does that impact everyday function. I can talk a lot about his personal (laughs) side, but uh, he is also uh, one of those individuals who really believes that their uh, mentee has all that they need to succeed and they will they will do every single thing to the detail to make sure that they succeed so uh, i owe a lot to him in terms of my academic development and starting to think about cognitive fluctuations and how they might be impactful in everyday function Manfred's a great guy, isn't he? We're, yes. we're quite fortunate to have him in the college. Yes. You, you might be happy to know that he will be part of season one as well. So we'll be interviewing oh. him very soon. <laughs> yes. So this is a great springboard. So, so we'll transition into to Neha as a member of the College of Health and Human Sciences and CSU Communities. And my first question, which I think is a natural follow-on to where you just said it, is, is to talk to us about what you're most excited about, about your current research programs, plural. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. So um, I'm a movement neuroscientist by training, and I have wore that you know hat of movement neuroscientist and looked at life with that. So we've tried to solve uh, problems related with safe mobility, which includes both walking, driving, and falls in older adults with the lens of movement. Um, 
More recently, I'm trying to integrate how both movement and cognition interact to enable people to drive safely or walk safely or use their both hands in a steady manner. So recently, you know, um, in the last three years or so, I have had the opportunity to integrate my training as a movement neuroscientist along with my undergrad background as a technologist uh, and what I'm trying to, you know, build my research towards is to basically integrate these two things and see if we can predict who will have, and I'm going to take a leap here, dementia, you know, five to 10 years down the line. So one of the proposals that we've been working on has been to integrate both of these passions of mine and backgrounds of mine. So what we are, I'm trying to do is that we want to build like a black box that we can, let's say, place on the dashboard of an older individual. Mm -hmm. And that black box is going to track how they drive over several years. And we'll use that information, especially the fluctuations in their driving performance over several years to detect if they are on the path to have cognitive impairments of some sort down the line. So it's a big, you know, uh, five, 10 year uh, vision in my mind, but it's not very far because we've already, you know, started working towards it. We are getting preliminary data in my lab in a simulator, driving simulator, but we have put in, you know, proposals to try to take it on road. And I'm working with some colleagues here at CSU from the engineering department mm -hmm. to make this happen and make it a reality. It's fun. Hmm. Yes, I'm so excited about that because it brings together both the science, but the applied part of science where it can then start impacting people's lives. Well said. I'm going to take advantage of you referring to five to 10 years down the road to ask you what can sometimes seem like a cliched question, but we're, we're earnest. Yeah. Imagine yourself now five years down the road. Talk a little bit about your aspirations for what kind of impact your research is having. So five years down the line, I think that we would have established that, at least that's my goal, that we have a firm foundation of understanding how fluctuations in both cognition and movement are impacting everyday function, and more specifically in the field of safe mobility. But I want to take it further and say that we would have built a prototype of this black box that I just you know referred to um, and have, would have tested it in vehicles of real individuals to see if we are able to detect those fluctuations and how that is impacting their mental well-being and you know physical well-being uh, to enable them to be independent for longer period of time. So we want people to drive for longer and uh, drive safely for longer both. So uh, my goal is that, you know, with the work that we are doing with our NIH grant and also with our AHA grant, we would have had enough background information to be able to determine that this is an important parameter, fluctuations is an important parameter. That's one. And the second one would be to then start using this information to provide rehabilitation to people um, both cognitive and motor rehabilitation that will impact their, you know, driving performance and their walking and, you know, reduce the likelihood of falls. Excellent. That is awesome. Now, tell us about your team, mm -hmm. right? So very few of us operate in a vacuum, of course, and you've already <laughs> alluded to the fact that you've got a fantastic mentor here, but, but you serve as a mentor as well. To yes. A, 
a team of, of aspiring young scholars. And yeah. so, so, you know, walk us through sort of a day in the life at, at the Lodhaw Lab. What, 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 <laughs> what happens on a day-to-day basis? So we call it the Movement Neuroscience and Rehab Lab. I have a very diverse uh, set of students in my lab, diverse in terms of both cultural backgrounds, but also educational backgrounds. In the MNR or the Movement Neuroscience Rehab Lab, you are going to find engineers working on devices, but you will also find physical therapists and uh, undergrad students from health and exercise science and biomedical sciences working together, uh, helping a patient or you know testing a patient. A day-to-day life in my lab involves communicating with patients, making sure that, you know, we get them all the information they need to participate in our studies. We bring them in. We would be testing them on a three or a four hour long experiment with a crew of a very diverse students. We would then spend the afternoons analyzing the data. I would also want to mention not a day to day, but a month to month, you would also find that we have lab meetings where we are presenting data and uh, taking a two hour periods just to write. So we are all writing all together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at the end of the writing session, we would check in with each other if we were able to reach our writing goals. And then uh, the last lab meeting of our month is usually a fun, you know, day out. So we would be playing volleyball pretty often <laughs> next to the, uh, <laughs> yes, to the uh, next to the department. We have a uh, beach volleyball court. So we are playing volleyball or we could go a little bit more crazy and uh, go downtown or do something together. But yeah, I really believe that, you know, uh, doing science together, but also having fun together is critical to build a strong team. This sounds like some of the influence of Evangelos, yes. right? <laughs> Doesn't it? This, this yes. work-life balance. and Absolutely. Yeah, and, and yes. you know, the, the folks that are in and out of our lab, whether they're research subjects or part of our team, they're, they're people too. They're not just sort of instruments as part of our goal to get our next grant or our next publication. Right? Absolutely. It's, it's really my, um, you know, my philosophy with the students, especially in my lab, is that um, as I train especially more and more young women, I want them to be equipped um, both academically, but also have all the soft skills to really thrive in an academic environment. Mm. And I can only do that best by sharing my own stories and, you know, sharing the stories where I did not do so well, because those are the examples that they will remember. And hopefully, you know, use that in their own context as they become independent investigators too. Right now, I think Matt already knows this. I have a really phenomenal postdoctoral fellow in my lab. Her, she's a physical therapist by training, Dr. Prakriti Patel. She's been successful to get her own she postdoctoral sure has, fellowship. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she is actually heading the falls work in my lab. And she's en route to become an independent investigator in a in near future. So, neat so, to see, so cool. I yeah. think that, you know, when your students are your living legacy, that really gives me a lot of gratification um, in addition to being an excellent scholar. It's fun to see. And it reminds me, my, my first Ph.D. student is now a dean <laughs> at another, which wow. is, you know, is a reflection wow. of, you know, my my age, not my training skills. <laughs> oh, <no>. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was yeah. really quite struck by that. It's so neat to see. And again, it's. You know, as fun as it is to follow them while they're here and they're a member of our team, you know, when they land somewhere else and we can watch them unfurl their wings and begin to fly and really be 
independent scholars. It's so much fun. And then, you know, those annual meetings that we all miss because of COVID, you know, where you get to sort of reconnect. And yeah. I think those are things that you look forward to for yes, sure. Yes. I, I, you know, the, the question that's been plaguing me for as long as I've met you, I have to okay. ask this and let, you know, everybody hear this, right? Okay. So one of your, your key tools in your lab, of course, is this driving simulator. Yes. So have you been in the driving simulator yourself? Yes, I have. And are you an expert driver? Have you done sort of <laughs> the Indy 500 or oh, no. Formula One's, you know, simulated races in there or anything like I'm that? I'm not an expert driver in the driving simulator. I'm a very safe driver on road in my Honda CRV. That I can promise you. Uh, but uh, we've developed quite a few scenarios and some of them are highly challenging um, in the driving simulator because we want to simulate how people might drive under challenging sure, driving sure, scenarios, yeah. whether it is, uh, you know, snowing or whether it is driving on interstate and then having a several, you know, uh, roundabouts soon after as they exit. Yeah. So we've been trying to test those scenarios. I'm a decent driver, uh, but I'm not the most um, fastest driver. Is what I will say. <laughs> now, I haven't been in it, I have to confess, but I'm, I'm also curious. Your sense of how much it actually reflects what it's kind of like to drive out there. Yes. So, you know, this is a really um, elegant driving simulator. I think one of the few in the nation, because what we've done with this driving simulator is we have NADS Mini Sim as our software from University of Iowa. But what we have done is we've integrated this with a motion enabled driving simulator from SimGear. And, uh, you know, both SimGear and University of Iowa work together to make them talk to each other so that when our participants are driving, they can get this motion feedback when they're driving wow. and that really makes it more real world um, rather than sitting in front of a computer screen you know and then trying to drive uh, the problem with stationary driving simulators is that there is incongruence in the visual feedback that they are getting from the eyes of you know the traffic flowing but their body tells them that i am still so the confusion creates simulator sickness mm. however in a motion-enabled driving simulator, both your visual feedback and your motion feedback are in sync and it really reduces the simulator sickness. So I would still say that this is um, closer to the real world driving experience, but in a safe lab environment. Sure, sure. Wait, it sounds phenomenal. My it's goodness, incredible. yeah. Sign me up. Yes. I will. <laughs> yes. Take it first. Thank you for offering right? yourself. Exactly. Yeah. That'd be good fun. Yes. We have two remaining questions, and yes. they're really about the, the broader environment. So we move out of, out of your lab and into the College of Health and Human Sciences. And I'm just curious if you can share some reflections on, on what you enjoy most about being a faculty member in the College of Health and Human Sciences. Well, you know, I think it is people. It's as simple as that. At the college, I have felt highly supported, uh, both as an academic young investigator, but as a women early stage investigator. I think that, you know, there are people who I can talk to because they have complementary research interests. And the really nicely knit system that constantly provides me feedback about what I'm doing, how I can get better, that really helps me. But they also do it in a very supportive way and not in a punitive way. And that I think reflects on the culture of the college. So I really value the people that I'm surrounded by, both in terms of their academic 
proficiency, but also in terms of the people that they are. So um, that's what I would say, people. Fantastic. Yes. Well, it's really great. That's a common to sentiment hear. too. So yeah. that it is. That tells yeah. us something. That's yeah. awesome. So, so CSU is is a land grant institution, as as was the University of Florida. Is the University of Florida? Yes. What does that mean to you? To me, it means that trying to achieve excellence, not just in research scholarship, but also you know teaching mm-hmm. and outreach. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that the most unique thing about Colorado State University to me is this nice integration of research, teaching, and outreach, or you know community service that comes all together, and they're all valued. To me, that is the most important thing. And um, I had never imagined this, but in the last one and a half year or so, we've taken that back to my lab where we are trying to now develop you know, an outreach wing of our lab where we try to serve people in the community, offering what we call as mobility clinic to try and assess their risk for driving, crash, and also falls. And it's you know, I, I take it to heart where I'm actually trying to promote this as a service that we are offering to the community because we have expertise in research. We want to share Indeed. it with people in Latimer County. So that's what CSU as a land-grant institution means to me. That's great. I do too. Yeah. Neha, thanks so much for coming yes. to join us today and, and uh, sharing a little bit about who you are and how you got here and what your aspirations are. Thank you for inviting me, Matt. Of course. <laughs> We're lucky to have you. Thank you yes. for having me here. And it's a real joy to be a part of a community where people support each other and we all grow together. Well said. <laughs> and that's our show. As always, thank you for listening to Health and Human Science Matters. Be sure to check out our other episodes. If you want to learn more about our CSU College of Health and Human Sciences, visit our website, chhs.colostate.edu.